Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by Heart to Heart Medical Supply. Heart to Heart is an American company offering FDA-registered respirator masks at the lowest prices. Heart to Heart offers free, same-day shipping, and by using the promo code HOLD20 at checkout, you can save 20% off your entire order. Visit hearttoheart.com. That's H-A-R-T, the number two, H-A-R-T, dot com. Hearttoheart.com. I'm more than willing to be interviewed by anybody that's reasonable, that will have a moderate, fair media piece. But clearly, this was far beyond that. In fact, this should be, this piece should be the example of what is wrong in media that exemplifies media bias. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish. Not a fight. Hold the line. Hey, welcome back to Hold the Line with Mike Solon. Today's episode is going to highlight the example of media bias, courtesy of the Seattle Times and their journalist, Mike Carter. Now, Mike is not a fan of Spog, obviously, as his Sunday's, I would say, uh, op-ed piece. I'm sorry. It was actually an article that was mistakenly not in the op-ed section and it, as where it should have been. Um, highlights the fact that he's definitely not a fan of Spog and uh, the great men and women that uh, Spog advocates for. So today's episode is dedicated to breaking that hit piece down and showing the uh, the utter falsehoods and misinformation smear, campaign smear, if you will, uh, against the great police officers that protect the great citizens of this city. And then we'll also address the Washington Supreme Court decision on the intent, unconstitutionality, if you will, of felony drug possession. So let's break it down. Here we go. Appreciate you being here. So this is definitely smells and looks like a coordinated effort to isolate Spog. And Mike Carter is definitely the latest, I think, um, driver of carrying the water with a lot of falsehoods and cherry-picking of historical issues that have impacted this union. And uh, right off the bat, if you just look at the article itself, as Mike is using a photo of me at, at the City Hall steps on the west side of that pretty cool-looking building, um, when we had a rally August 9th where 3,500 reasonable citizens from Seattle and across our region showed up to defend and stand up for public safety, the police that do the job of policing here in this great city. And of course, the, the, they quote underneath the picture, we will not be bullied by unreasonable activism, unquote, says Mike Solon, pointing across the street to Black Lives Matter counter-protesters. Well, Mike... That's your first falsehood, as they were not BLM counter-protesters across the street. 
those were Antifa and black block individuals who were there with one purpose. And that purpose was to try to disrupt via violence and all out verbal attacks, this peaceful family based pro safe pro public safety rally at city hall. And of course, maybe if you were there and maybe you were, I don't know, but you know, again, that's your first, first falsehood and your first narrative smear. Um, so I just want to point that out. It's kind of quite interesting. I just, when I saw it, I just smirked and said, here we go. So why did this occur? Why did this hit piece occur? Well, the Seattle Times and some of the journalists there, they have a history of just going after Spog. And Spog is a police union. And Spog has the right to um, advocate for our members. We do hours, wages, and working conditions. And clearly, over the past year, and historically, but more so in the past year, those working conditions are the spotlight of our advocacy and representation as a union. Because if you, as the audience has seen that our officers have been assaulted, verbally accosted, our buildings have been breached, we've been uh, firebombed, we've been hit with improvised explosive devices, um, you name it, and our community has been held hostage. So we have been very strong advocates verbally because we have not seen or heard from our elected officials um, public support. And I'll break that down even further. But Spog has a right to have a voice. And even with this hit piece, you're not going to stop our voice. Um, so just a little bit of background on how this occurred. So Mike reached out to me about two and a half weeks ago, emailed me and said, hey, you'll be doing this piece about Spog. want to know if you'd want to uh, participate in an interview. And your participation with Seattle Times reporters has been what did he say? It was uh, uh, sketchy at best, I believe is what he said. So I just kind of mulled it over for about six to seven hours because, you know, as I have participated in some interview requests, but I'm always consciously aware based upon my experience here and just as just reading some of their stuff that we don't really get a fair shake, a reasonable approach. So um, I thought about it, you know, said, you know what, let me contact Mike and uh, see if we can get something done. Because my goal here, as I ran for this presidency of this union, was to um, tell our story, advocate for our members via media, social media, written, and that's why I launched this podcast. So um, I call Mike, and Mike answers, and uh, I said, hey, Mike, you know, I'll, I'll agree to your interview but only under one condition. And that condition was you come in studio to hear Hold the Line with Mike Solon, and we can conduct your interview, Mike. I'll answer your questions. I'll give you answers that I can provide, provided it's on camera and it's recorded. And he said, well, we won't be able to have a truth and authentic conversation. And I said, well, how can't we? It's going to be video and audio recorded, I won't edit it. And then we can use that for your piece. You can take the answers and you can write your column. And he says, well, I think there'd be just too many distractions. 
I said, I will make sure nobody comes in studio. I will make sure that there'll be no audible sounds. Yes, we do have some train sounds because we're in Soto and the trains go by. But other than that, there'll be no interruptions. I, I can guarantee it. And of course, then he goes and he kind of backpedals a little bit more and he says, well, you know what? Uh, I just don't think my managers, my, my, uh, my bosses would agree to it. So I'm not going to do it. I said, okay, Mike, then, um, you know, so you're telling me that if I do your interview over the phone, you're the, you'll be the one that's driving your narrative that fits your story. And I won't have any um, benefit on my part. He says, well, I guess that's your take. That's your take. And I said, okay, well, I'm not doing the interview. So we ended it. So clearly, though, that's one of the reasons why I said, let's do this question and answer session for to benefit you, Mike, in your hit piece. I didn't say hit piece at the time, but I said for your piece, um, I got to protect my interest here. And clearly, that if I would have participated in this interview in written form, it wouldn't have mattered because this was a hit piece from the jump and I smelled it right off the bat. That's why I said, hey, come on the podcast so I can make sure at least there's record of his questions and my answers. And of course, how that would be, I guess, inlaid in his op-ed, excuse me, his article. So that's the backstory behind it. Um, I'm more than willing to be interviewed by anybody that's reasonable that will have a moderate, fair media piece. But clearly this was far beyond that. In fact, this should be, this piece should be the example of what is wrong in media that exemplifies media bias. It should have been in an op-ed section of the paper. So will I continue or will there be a future of working with the Seattle Times based upon this experience? Be hard-pressed unless they want to come on the podcast because we have to protect our interest here because clearly we're not getting a fair shake. So let's break it down. So it seems to be the, the, the piece itself is definitely targeting me specifically, but I want to make this about me. And this is about I run this union and I represent the membership. Um, but he comes after me, and the, one, of the, one of the facts that he's just absolutely wrong on, if he actually watched the podcast, which he obviously addressed in here and scoffed at it, that he says that I've been on 13 years, I'm on SWAT. Well, here's the, real, here's the reality, and here's a fact. I've been on 21 years, as I've told you, the audience, many times, and I'm proud of those, that, those service hours. I was in patrol, detective in the gang unit, and I did most of my time on the SWAT team. I'm no longer on the SWAT team. Um, I'm the full-time union president of this organization. So get your facts at least somewhat right, right Mike. That, that's just a, that's a gimme, and you failed at that as well. And I've been very reasonable in my media um, engagements and to my messaging externally to the public and, more importantly, to the membership who I work for. Um, I'm accountable to them. They elected me into this office. I told them that I would drive their story, drive the narrative, and um, be a strong advocate for them. And, you know, who, who saw this kind of energy coming against the police this past year of 2020? Uh, obviously, COVID hit, and then George Floyd, that tragedy that plagued Minneapolis, and then our profession. 
Um, no one saw that coming, but you could see the buildup over the years of just this anti-police climate. And it's one of the reasons why policing, unions specifically, we need to get a message out there because we've done a horrendous job explaining our actions. Because if we don't, there's a vacuum there. There's a void. And that void is filled by activists and media that tend more often than not to not properly and reasonably tell the objective story. It's very subjectively driven. And that's for media dollars, that's for advertising, that's for ratings. And that's part of the problem of this. And that's what's led to this division. But the police, we've been at fault with that because we haven't done a good job of getting ahead of these stories. And that's why I've been such a strong advocate to just get ahead of this stuff and um, tell the story how it is and just be authentic and reasonable. And I think we're doing that. And one of the reasons why they're, you know, these hit pieces are coming out is because we have a, finally we have a platform. And this podcast is building. And um, we have the ability to just push back and highlight the utter misinformation and hit jobs against police, particularly the men and women that I represent. So that's part of that. So Mike, you cherry pick his history and it's completely typical on your part. So you say we failed to acknowledge institutional racism. Well, you did mention at least the King County labor council voting us out, but you mentioned that we authored a letter. Um, well, Spog did address racism. And if you read that letter, I think you'd be understand quite clearly what our position was on the racism angle that you're trying to paint police as being. Um, and then, but then you attack Spog as being this entity that um, skirts accountability along racial lines as well. So let's really break down, as you are well aware of the contractual historical accounts of this union in terms of collective bargaining with the city of Seattle. But I'll help you out. I'll help you correct your hit piece to actually have some facts rather than uh, misinformation. So as you know, when you do contract negotiations, you have SPOG, the police union, which is the legally, uh, the authority to bargain on behalf of the police officers for the city of Seattle, Seattle Police Officers Guild, and then you have the city of Seattle. So the two bargain in good faith with one another. When you sit down at the bargaining table, you have a certain time frame where opening offers for the contractual negotiated process are put in place. And once those opening offers are finalized, that means you cannot introduce anything else into your initial offers. It's closed. Unless you agree, both parties, to open it back up and bring in other issues. So let's break that down even further. In 2006, that contract, opening offers started, contract negotiations started for both parties, the city of Seattle and SPOG. In 2007-2008, during contract negotiations, the Police Accountability Blue Ribbon Panel made 29 recommendations. This is after opening offers, where it's closed. 
Spog did not have to allow those 29 recommendations into the current ongoing contract negotiations which started in 2006. We could have said that those recommendations could be brought to the table in the next contract. But we didn't do that. We agreed to open up that current contract and bring in those recommendations from the 29 accountability recommended findings of the Blue Ribbon Panel. We did that. Spog did. We opened it up. We welcomed that into contract negotiations. But of course, you don't really mention that, that Spog did that. Wonder why. Doesn't fit your narrative, apparently. We did it in good faith. We partnered with the city. We partnered in accountability. But you say we skirt accountability. And the people that are at the table during those times, the people that are currently in positions that have a say in these contract negotiations, they know this too. And you know it. You didn't put, you didn't put that in there. We welcome those accountability measures and they were implemented in the 2008 final collective bargaining agreement. Fast forward, 2014, Spog and the city began negotiations on the CBA that was the most recently ratified contract. Now, currently, that contract's expired, but we still operate under that existing yet expired contract until we enter new negotiations. Um, history, the history behind that. So in 2015... Opening offers were finalized, and I've already gone through opening offers being finalized. You can't bring anything else in unless both parties agree. In 2017, the city council enacted the legislation known as, quote, the the accountability ordinance, unquote. They did this without negotiating it. Just like in the 2006 contract that was ratified in 2008, Spog was under no obligation to consider to consider the accountability legislation until the next round of negotiations. But what did we do? And you are well aware of this, but you failed to put it in your piece. In partnership with the city and for accountability, Spog agreed to negotiate certain parts of of the accountability legislation into the current CBA instead of forcing the city to wait for the next round of contract negotiations. So we could have played hardball. I could have, I was part of that negotiations team. I wasn't the lead in the leadership role, but we could have been that hard line, spog entity and said no, but we didn't. Again, for the second time in contract negotiations, we agreed to open it up and take in more measures of accountability. Why didn't you account for that in your piece? It's quite telling, because it doesn't fit your narrative. We have a history of accountability that goes back to the original negotiations of what is now the OPA unit, formerly known as IIS, Internal Investigation. So traditionally, IIS was there, then OPA came, Office of Professional Accountability, and then it was changed to Office of Police Accountability. Here are some elements that you don't recognize in your piece that 
illustrates Spog's history of negotiating in good faith with the city of Seattle in terms of police accountability. Here we go. We negotiated in good faith changes to our working conditions, which is a major critical foundational aspect of unions. Via working conditions and wages, pay, and hours. First one was in-car cameras. We've had in-car cameras since 2002. Body-worn video. Holding cell cameras. Civilians in OPA. A civilian-led EEO investigator. Equal employment. Changes to Article 3, which is the discipline article in our collective bargaining agreement. That included changes to OPA procedures, dishonesty language, 180-day contractual extensions, timing of investigations, frontline investigations, and mediation. I'm going to keep going, Mike. We also negotiated in good faith changes needed for the Department of Justice Settlement Agreement. We negotiated in good faith force investigation team and interviews relative to officers using force. Discipline appeals, which seems to be a topic of discussion when they're trying to cancel police unions to remove arbitration rights and to try to decertify officers prior to arbitration, which would make a peace officer not able to get another job if they're terminated by that current employer. We also negotiated in good faith the grievance processes. Clearly, in just those examples, which are there are a lot, it lays out the history we have with being partners with the city, negotiating in good faith for accountability. But just like any union, whether it's teachers union, healthcare, iron workers, pilots, what have you, if there is a change to working conditions, you have to negotiate that. And the ones I just laid out are clear Changes of working conditions that must be bargained. It's protected by labor law. Cops are labor. As much as the council wants to not say that we're labor and voted us out of their council, we are indeed labor. And the city that is so pro-labor, isn't it ironic that they want to isolate Spog and remove us from being a police union? Here are the seven comparable cities that Spog uses when we're negotiating in good faith with the city of Seattle. Those are San Jose, San Fran, the city they call Long Beach, San Diego, Oakland, Portland, and Sacramento. Those other cities have core functions of labor, police labor. That's just 
the tip of the iceberg here of what we've done for accountability. And in terms of the Department of Justice Settlement Agreement, it's our members that did the heavy lifting on that and did the quickest reform work, I think, on record. And it's interesting to note that the mayor and the city council president president just days before George Floyd's tragic death they rolled out a public relations campaign if you will applauding the men and women of, of Spog SPD that did all the reform work that met the Department of Justice benchmarks for reform in fact the talking point was we should be considered as the model of reform. And sadly, when a death occurs across the nation due to the politics and the, the tragedy behind that, our current politicians who were just days before applauding us for reform couldn't walk away from us fast enough. And then now since that time, when we've been assaulted, we've been almost killed, we've had members who've had to leave this career due to career-ending injuries, I've yet to hear one city council person publicly condemn the violence against the great men and women that you were publicly applauding just days prior. Or show concern about those officers that give their dedication, their oath of service to this city and did the work with reform. So that's a brief synopsis of contract negotiations. So let's break this down even further, your piece. You said you lobbied, we lobbied against I-940. Well, that's actually accurate, Mike, and thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, like we said, 940, we did a lot of the work for reform. We are that model agency. Clearly, that legislation was not put forth in an objective manner to the state electorate. And we saw that the language itself, the legality behind that, as deeply problematic because we were fearful that officers would be politically prosecuted for using deadly force. So we tried hard to fight for the working conditions of our people. That's what a union does but it's tied into police reform and we are the leading agency in police reform. But clearly based upon the tragedy in Minneapolis with George Floyd, 940 didn't go far enough. And now we're looking at more reform that is deeply troubling and has significant impacts for impact for everybody's public safety. It will decimate policing and public safety. You say we accuse the city of endangering officers when the city wanted to ban certain crowd control weapons. Well, absolutely. There's no way to defend against a riotous crowd without the use of CS gas. So if you remove chemical munitions, the only thing left is our physical presence, batons, and lethal force. We don't want that. I don't think our citizens want that. But you've got to be able to at least have some kind of less lethal tool that is a reasonable 
way of holding back a riotous mob that are bent on burning and killing people, killing cops. Incredibly naive. Banning neck restraints. That legislation's in Olympia now. If we ban carotid neck restraints, lateral vascular neck restraints, and we're in a fight for our life, the only option then is to either use an impact weapon, a baton, or a handgun. Again, we're regressing in the progressive march of policing where less lethal tools are introduced, there's less force used, less lethal force used, but now it's almost those less lethal tools are being stripped from us and the only thing left are physical bodies, batons, and handguns. We've gone back decades now. doesn't make sense to me. Why don't you put that in your piece, Mike? You say we defend problem officers involved in controversial uses of force or questionable behavior. Well, you failed to mention in your piece, too, that the past five terminations by the chief of police, Spog has not granted a discipline appeal. Why didn't you put that in your piece? Seems to be that the, the talking point, as all police unions do, is stand up and defend for bad officers. Well, that's not the case at all. The ones that are really involved in accountability are actually police officers holding each other accountable. Um, when we get involved as a union for arbitration or appeals for discipline is when we feel that that case, that investigation, that discipline case was not done via just cause. The case w- investigative process was improper and unfair. So that's when we step in. That's what unions do. Not just in police unions, teachers unions, healthcare unions, you name it. It's the same process. But right now in Olympia, activists are trying to circumvent the arbitration process for police and immediately target our certification. So if you remove our certification, you decertify us as peace officers in Washington State, that'll stop our ability to advocate via arbitration to defend our, our membership. But it's not like we have a blanket appeal process for every discipline case. No, we have a board. There's two entities, the Public Safety Civil Service Commission. There's three commissioners, two appointed by the city. You know this. City council appoints one. The mayor appoints one. And the public safety groups, Fire, Local 27, and SPOG appoint people. Three people. Then the other entity is the SPOG Board of Directors. Like I mentioned, the last five termination discipline appeal requests by that terminated employee, we have not granted it. So please be more accurate in your story. Hold the Line with Mike Solon is sponsored by StopDefunding.com. The senseless trend of defunding police departments must be stopped. Over 200,000 reasonable citizens have already signed our petition and we need your help. Visit StopDefunding.com and add your signature to help us protect public safety. Now more than ever, our voices must be heard. Speak up at StopDefunding.com. Now let's go to George Floyd, Minneapolis, and the reason why I bring this together. We're on record, and our letter up condemning the George Floyd uh, tragic death is there for people to see. Um, But Minneapolis, that city council, 
knowing that that city has been just decimated by violence. Just voted in a six and a half budget increase to recruit and retain police officers because they know the public safety crisis that they're in. What are we doing here in the city of Seattle as its comparison to it? When we're that model of reform of police agency, city council is still debating whether or not to cut five more million dollars from our current budget. That's where we are. We've lost over 200 officers and counting and the public safety crisis is going through the roof. As you've seen, as you have seen, the 2020 homicide rates are above 50%. Historical records. Why is that the case? Do you point that out in your piece, Mike? Diversity and SPOG, you say that we resist diversity and training. Let me break it down with you some, some facts. Currently right now, there's around 1,200 SPOG members. And it's declining because we're losing officers almost daily because we're not supported by our politicians. Let's break it down the current SPOG member list by race. American Indian and Alaska Native, we have 15 awesome SPOG members. Asian SPOG members are at 83. Black or African American, we have 93 SPOG members. All of them are awesome. Hispanic or Latino, 72. Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, we have 12. We also break it down into not specified. We have 44. We have 60 members that identify with two or more races. So instead of saying mixed race now, and I'm hearing that it's now dual heritage, we have 60 great SPOG members, awesome SPOG members. And we have white 826. So let's break this down, that SPOG has over a third of its membership are persons of color. A third. 335 Non-persons of color are 826. Not not specified as 44. We have 184 females. We have 1,021 males. You didn't put in your piece the assaults and the verbal hostility put toward our membership, in particular the persons of color of of our membership during the Battle of the East Precinct, the riots that continued. Our members were called the N-word. They were told to go home to their own countries. And if you were accurate in your reporting, you would say that some of those members participated in an interview with Brandy Cruz from Q13 on the divide, where they accounted those experiences on the line to try to defend that East Precinct, to defend the community. But you fail to recognize that. But yet you hit, you take the time to say that we're fighting diversity. And that we fight the increase of minority hires. That's unconscionable to me. And that's, what, that's probably the biggest piece that I pull from this is how disappointing that was. Because you absolutely know the accuracy 
of how diverse our Spark membership is. I, it still blows my mind. So how dare you say that? The Spog board has persons of color on it. The same Spog board that you're saying fights diversity and fights the increasing number of minorities and female officers. And I go back to the public safety chair, Lisa Herbold, months ago when she advocated to fire officers based upon the color of our skin to retain the minority officers. You're dividing us amongst race. It's appalling. And again, I request that the ACLU and the Human Rights Commission for the City of Seattle step in and advocate for police officers regardless of race. We have an amazing membership, fantastic officers, persons of color, non-persons of color, you name it. It's appalling to me that you continue to try to divide us from our community. It's shameful, actually. So clearly this piece is an attempt to control the opposition opinions and isolate Spog and hinder our influence. And as this platform grows, our message gets out there. Your actions only embolden me to continue to do what I do and advocate for our membership who defend this city, who swore to an oath of service to protect it no matter what, regardless of skin color. And we are a strong union and we're union and we are united. So that's about as much attention as I was I want to get on this. Whatever you want to call it. We'll leave it at that. So let's break down and I'll just wrap this up. The latest Washington State Supreme Court ruling that made felony drug possession unconstitutional. So what does this do? Well, number one, it takes a huge tool out of an officer's toolkit. And it's going to deeply impact public safety and make the situation that's devolving in our city even get worse and across the state. It erodes public safety, obviously. And more importantly, it erodes the public's confidence in law and order. And I find what's striking in this, and this is backed up by prosecutors, is that right now 13-year-old children, they cannot buy alcohol, they can't consume it, they can't buy cigarettes, they can't use cigarettes, they can't even vape. But under this Washington State Supreme Court ruling, now those same 13-year-old children can possess and consume heroin, methamphetamine, and cocaine. Please, legislature, you have less than 90 days to fix this. Please get it done because we are devolving. None of this makes any sense. None of it. Amazing to me. And in closing, clearly there's a big attempt to bust up police unions. We are the last line of defense between what I believe getting a correct narrative out there and protecting our communities. Public safety is on the line. If you 
remove and you cancel police unions. Cops will have nothing left to defend their profession. Defend him from the likes of journalists who intentionally divide us from the communities that we humbly and professionally serve. And in closing, I would ask people that are listening to this podcast in the Seattle community and across the nation, do you feel safer today than you did a year ago? If you hesitate, even slightly, then I think we have our answer. Jazz and Chop was just a brief, tragic example of what's going to come if we continue down this path and we isolate police officers and we cancel police officers. Who's left to defend you when crime comes? I love this job. I love this city. And I wish we would have journalists who were brave enough to tell an objective, accurate story, a reasonable one, a fair approach. Look, police were not perfect, but we're superhumans. We do make mistakes. But it is not at the level that activist journalists try to make you believe it is. And that's why I fight so hard. And as the Seattle Teachers Union fights for their working conditions of their members, as they recently filed three ULPs to stop the return to the classroom because they're worried about their working conditions, police unions have the right to fight for the working conditions for our membership. Hope you change your ways, Mike. This bog's going to keep chugging along. Thanks for watching, everybody.